not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. So while it's good to talk about serious things, it's just as important and just as American to have some fun. Now, let's have some fun. We are going to focus on what we consider political topics and social topics and try to find the left, the right, and the middle. Exactly. Things are more divisive than they've ever been before, and we found through just communication and solid conversation that there's, there's a way to observe all of these decisive excuse me, issues <laughs> In a, in a way that kind of paints a picture of unity rather than division. And that's our, that's our goal here with this podcast. Yeah, and we got this podcast started uh, through um, working together and having off-topic conversations about uh, different political stands and how they are implied into social situations along with um, just the overall direction that, that we've seen politics turn in in the the last several years and uh, as as we talk we really found that uh, we enjoyed the conversations and felt like maybe it was something that uh, other people would enjoy as well so that that's how we got this one get get this one started that is absolutely the goal is just to try to help paint pictures as clear as possible from as many angles as possible so that we can start finding common ground as and help us process what's going on too absolutely so because i know uh there's a lot of nights where i'll see something come across my news feed and and i'm texting you immediately going is this for real like did this really happen exactly i mean regardless of whether you're looking from the left or the right perspective there's so much news that comes out that is either outright false or very, very... Um, skewed. Skewed, exactly. Or even not confirmed. And a lot of stories are being run in those aspects as well. So it's important to take, you know, take a dose of your news with, the, uh, with a dose of skepticism and make sure that the research is done. Well, but would you say that that's exactly what social media has caused today is everybody's got a voice and you don't have to have your voice fact-checked before you can can put it out there in the the internet space and that is an interesting thing you know i remember the the people that invented the internet you know that were responsible for darpa net back in the that day was gore right yeah al gore exactly <laughs> he invented the internet right um they they came out and said a handful of years ago basically like yeah we messed up like the humans were not ready for what the internet's able to offer and to to a degree i i understand that sentiment sometimes but you know social media it's it's not just a positive or a negative force like you know we find ourselves left right middle and here we are again it is they it provides the opportunity for more people to get their opinions shared um quicker which has done a lot of really progressive social good but also, at the same time, it allows for people on both ends to spread, fa spread false narratives. And that's absolutely something I look forward to kind of diving in a little more deeper and examining, especially in these first episodes. So without going off on, on something other than what we'd planned on talking about today, do you think it's the responsibility of the social media platforms to 
monitor or maybe take into consideration the false narratives and, and the cause and effect of the, the false narratives? I think in a perfect world, it absolutely is. Um, it's their job to kind of make sure that the information that's provided on their public forum is not uh, dangerous. But that being said, you know, as we were talking about at the start of the show, is it is it's a toss-up because you have these issues that come out so quickly. Um, you know, just to pull from a very recent current events example, such as uh, Donald Trump's statements uh, or alleged statements regarding our troops, um, you know, that information comes out so quickly, and technically it's not confirmed. So how does Facebook... Um, you know, fact check in that situation where it is an anonymous source and maybe, you know, mainstream media is reporting on it, but technically it carries the exact same weight as somebody who is championing, you know, an anti-science kind of rhetoric. So not to just be argumentative, but the whole effect and the, the whole direction of social media is that you can put your your opinions out there, your your likes, your dislikes. You can share your personality with, let's just call it what it is. Facebook is mm -hmm. one of those. And you can go on there and you can like, dislike, put your opinions up there, follow family members, uh, follow friends from high school that you've come out of contact with. So there's that positive side of it. But do you feel like maybe at some level, maybe they, they because you can't, quiet the first amendment right like you can't sit there and say you don't have the right to say what you want to say but do you think at some point the president let's just say that one do you feel like they have a responsibility at that point to say mr president your word carries a lot more weight than the average person we need to we need to cut down on some of this rhetoric and that is the tricky part when it comes to social media specifically is they are protected under the Digital Right uh, Copyright Millennium Act, Digital Copyright Millennium Act, which um, they're, they are not the publisher. They are just the platform, so they are legally protected from, you know, anything that's published uh, in terms of hate speech or, you know, illegal content. But a legal, a legal sense uh -huh. is one thing, but a morality sense is another and that's that's kind of where i was going with it is legally they don't have that obligation to and i think a lot of places specifically facebook you can see them hiding behind that um legal clause you know they know that they don't need to and for a long time uh mark zuckerberg and his team decided not to get involved with flagging information and then obviously they received pressure from other platforms starting to do just that which is fact checked or at the very least put um little statements on the president's tweet about misleading information. And I you think, think that that train has left the station though. To a degree I do because those the fact checking um that's the other hard thing with social media is you know my knee jerk is to say that that train left the station, but I think what social media does a really good job of is creating the echo chamber that we're trying to destroy. So in my head I would say any, you know, buddy who's on the right that views that fact check is going to get angry with it. And anybody who's on the left is going to view it and be pleased with it. And I'm not thinking about, you know, the majority of the country who is in the middle, you know, who might not be as engaged on social media as the people we see constantly posting. So maybe it is, you know, a really excellent service to have to people, you know. 
I think it's a great service. Number one, because you and I are in the marketing industry. Mm -hmm. And so that's a very um, beneficial marketing tool to be able to target those those types of uh, demographics and, and likes and dislikes and everything else. My, my concern about the social media side of it is just the blatant um, ignorance that goes on on with mm -hmm. that. And you have people that are sharing likes and, and everything else from people who are going on there and just saying stuff to try to get more likes and more follows and more internet internet activity uh, to bolster their persona or, or social and profile. I mean, you hit the nail on the head and it's, it's a topic that we will dive deeper on in a future episode, but just to use it as an example here with the, uh, you know, the events around Jacob Blake and Kenosha, we saw um, narratives immediately launch out from both the left and the right that were proven false. Specifically, um, you know, immediately the right started to come out and push the narrative that this man was armed with a weapon, with a gun. Eventually they did find a knife um, in the driver's side uh, footwell. So that is still, you know, kind of unsure whether he, that was on his person or not. But they, you know, immediately reports came out saying he was armed, he had a gun, he was going to get a gun in the car. Then on the other side, it was, you know, he was there for the good reasons. He was trying to break up this fight. He was an altruistic individual. And, uh, you know, regardless of the events that transpired shortly after all of that, we could see that these narratives were branching off in two directions. And I think we know immediately that, you know, people, whatever belief reaffirmed what somebody was feeling, they would share that. But both sides were misinformation. So it is. It's super dangerous in terms of creating that echo chamber. And some people do it just for the likes to bolster their own self-esteem. And I think a lot of other people want really really want their beliefs to be reaffirmed you know it's really it's really easy when you're dealing with these hard complicated social issues such as police brutality and a questionable um violent incident with the police is you know normally it's going to take time for these things to be unweaved and figured out but with uh, such emotional political issues people want to share what is reaffirmed so they'll immediately say this guy was a horrible person or this guy was a great person and then it shoots off in directions before traditional media even has a chance to cover the story because they're doing due diligence which has created the effect of traditional media trying to play catch up to social media uh, well and i think you know kind of hitting on the the topic we wanted to discuss today i i think you saw that that um disconnect between social and um, online media versus traditional during the RNC and the DNC. And uh, you saw some news programs carry it and, and do a good job carrying it. And you saw some news uh, networks um, not really carry it and not give it the, uh, the attention. Um, and, but then you saw the social universe mm -hmm. go absolutely insane during yeah. the RNC and the DNC. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that is exactly what we were talking about was the, the tone in which um, one versus the other yeah. uh, kind of provided more fodder uh, because, it, and let's be honest, I mean, people like to share negative things. Absolutely. You know, it, it's, 
And, and that's what you saw during the, the DNC and the RNC was it wasn't always the, um, oh, uh, this message by Michelle Obama was a great message and it hit on target and uh, everything else. Yeah, the, the pundits were saying that when they were doing the recaps. Oh, absolutely. But what was getting blasted out there in social media was the she called Trump unfit and um, it is what it is. And, and all these these attacks that, that she did is what really lit up the Twitter and, and the memes and, and everything else. It's always so much easier to evoke a, uh, a negative emotional response than it is a positive one. I mean, especially in the political climate of today, where so much of the unity on both sides is fueled towards a common hatred of the other side. So immediately, you know, people want on the left, they want to hear negative things about Trump. They're going to get excited about that. I think we saw that a lot with the DNC on social media is a lot of people were waiting for years to hear what the Obamas, to hear what um, some of the more... Well, because the Obamas stayed pretty quiet until now, right? Absolutely. They've worked um, very hard, especially, you know, uh, former President Barack Obama was working very hard not to endorse anybody and stay out of the primaries entirely. And uh, even then, once Joe, it was clear he would be the nomination, he really didn't even put his foot on the gas until it was for sure, you know? Well, but that's one of the things that I saw during the DNC was the uh, Republicans were really pushing that Obama didn't want Joe to run. Otherwise, he would have come out and endorsed him earlier. And because he stayed quiet, they're using that as an excuse as to why you shouldn't vote for Joe. Because this Obama president that everybody loves from the, the Democratic side didn't even want to endorse him. He was forced to endorse him. And that's, that's a funny narrative because it's just, when you look back, um, ex-presidents, that's a time-honored tradition to stay out of your party's primary, is once you've served, you know, as president, um, especially two terms as president, it, it is respectful to understand that your voice carries a lot of weight. And I don't, I can't remember in recent presidential history on left or right that a ex-president endorsed a candidate before they were selected in the primary. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that that's uh, I don't remember seeing anything like that. So as far as the let's start with the DNC because it went first. Yeah. So um, what was your what was your opinion of the DNC? It was, I think, um, missed opportunities is what I would calculate it as. I believe they um, they did a very, very good job of displaying why Donald Trump should not be president. Um that being said, I, I believe the DNC did a better job of articulating policies and just kind of the path forward and what that might look like. But at the same time, I think there was just too much focus on the idea of getting Donald Trump out of office, which I think the people watching the DNC already kind of had that in their hearts and souls that they, they wanted to get rid of this guy, you know. And um, obviously, if they're tuning in, they're at least a little more interested I think it was really effective that they had Republicans come on and actually give speeches and explain while, why they've decided to walk away from their party for this election cycle. But, um, you know, I think a lot of people are craving unity. And while I believe the Democrats are doing a better job at providing that unity at, in the, at this stage in the game, it's also tricky because I don't think they did enough. I think they kind of tipped their hat to the idea of unity. They featured some Republican speakers. 
which was great, but the focus was we're better than Trump for all of these reasons. You know, Donald Trump's a horrible person. We're not Donald Trump rather than, hey, here's a clear-cut, you know, path forward. And I think they could have attracted a lot more moderate voters by doing that. And uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a little interesting to see, you know, after we're kind of looking at how the polling numbers are performing. And overall, um, Biden did get a bump. He did. What I kind of got from it, and I wrote a couple things down. Um, there was to me what what I really saw out of the DNC was more of a social movement yeah. than a political movement. That's um, right. Yeah. And the other things that. Uh, I got was addressing a wounded nation and and coming together. Those were the things that they were really promoting. Yeah. Now you can look at that and you can really go, well, that's they're they're painting a grim picture. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what the RNC did, right? Like yep. they said, um, you know, it's not all doomsday, and it's all you know. Here's the things that we've accomplished and yeah. and everything else. But to me, what what the DNC was really promoting and and. Let's also, you know, kind of call it what it is. The DNC was better produced as well. Yeah. And so you you had better videos and just better uh, better things like the roll call thing. Exactly. You know, I, I really thought the roll call where everybody was in their environments and, yeah. and showed their culture, mm -hmm. that was a really good movement towards we need to bring this country together. Yeah. Right. N nice social uh, unity kind of mm -hmm. kind of approach, whereas the RNC just did on a background and yep. and uh, didn't really have as much diversity uh, as as that one. Yeah. And that's that's the interesting thing um, to compare and contrast a little bit is the DNC definitely was championing unity harder in their explicit language. And the RNC wasn't championing so much unity as, in my opinion, as much as pooling examples of populations that they're not polling well in minority communities specifically latinx communities and uh featuring as many speakers as they could to kind of that's how they went about demonstrating their unity is by saying hey you know don't believe the mainstream media we do have supporters in these universes and it's worth looking into i guess yeah i i think that these conventions, and, and this is really the first time that I've, I've sat down and, and just watched both conventions and really took it in and, and tried to have an open mind for both sides yeah. and, and what was going on. Because, you know, right now we're in a, a time like we've never been in before. And so things are different as far as our approach to that right now. And, and I think that's why some of these topics are even more uh, hot yeah. uh, right now. But I think that, that these conventions did exactly what they were supposed to do in my opinion which yeah. was with the dnc i felt like okay we have a plan mm -hmm. we have mm -hmm. uh we're going to get unity yeah. we are at least acknowledging that there's a situation here mm -hmm. and we're at least acknowledging um that there is uh racism and 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 uh injustice and and uh social angst yeah um Whereas on the other side, there, there's more of, that's eh, not there. Yeah. Right. And so, but I will say when I was watching the RNC there for a little while, I, I really got conflicted mm -hmm. on, on what I'm going to do. And, and I'll, I'll tell you right now that I'm still somewhat undecided. I know which way I'm leaning. Yeah. 
But I thought that the RNC did a good job of number one, exploiting the leverage of the White House. Yes. And number two, which might be illegal. I'm pretty sure it is illegal yeah. under the hatch. I think a lot of th- that's another thing that we're going to have to grapple with as America in the future is there's been a lot of illegal things. And I, I do air quotes as I say that since this is an audio program. Right. But um, <laughs> maybe one day we'll put video here. Yeah, but. <laughs> exactly. But um, that there's a lot of like legal things, but they're kind of like the traffic ticket equivalent of the political world that are getting swept under the rug. And it's kind well, of a, it's a slippery slope. It is. But you've got a president that, that he's made his whole presidential career out of that line toting that line stepping over it stepping back stepping over it stepping back it's true so i mean this is just normal behavior yeah for, it's part for of what's the that course at this point but what the rnc did for me in a, a different sense was it, it highlighted some of the things that i didn't know yeah that that trump had accomplished and, and you know this isn't a anti-trump podcast or anything else but um and what he did in the middle east with that peace uh of um treaty was amazing exactly right and it couldn't have happened at a better time yep for him um but there was they kind of addressed a little bit of the elephant in the room Mm -hmm. which was listen you might not like the way he tweets you might not like what he says but you got to at least appreciate the fact that he accomplishes what he says he's going to accomplish now some of that is fabricated of course (laughs) which but when you get wrapped up into it and 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 that's exactly what happened for those uh four days i was wrapped up in both both uh conventions and when you get wrapped up into it you kind of don't want to hear that it's a lie exactly right because you get excited and they've done a good job, both sides of shaping the narrative of where it's not that the border wall in Mexico wasn't built. It's that the Democrats are blocking it from being built and that our Democrats are doing the exact same thing. Oh, it's not because, you know, Obamacare isn't working, not because it's a flawed system, but because Trump's gutted it. There's levels of truth to both sides of those arguments, but there, I saw a lot of deflection. And that's something we're going to see in politics. Normally, nobody's just going to come out and say, hey, I made a mistake, although that would be refreshing. (laughs) Uh, I was about to say, wouldn't you like to hear that from a candidate, though? I think it's I think Biden's doing a little bit of a better job with that. Specifically, Anita Hill um, just came out and endorsed him this week, which I think shows that he's working on improving himself based off of how he treated that testimony um in the 90s so well and i think one of the things and i I wrote this down earlier one of the things that people like about joe biden as well is he is more presidential in the traditional sense in the traditional sense which right now you know the big the big push from the uh republicans is hey listen um we need law and order And and that's what they were pushing in this convention was we need law and order. We need to get back to, um, you know, having control over everything. But the the, you take a step back and you go, well, wait a second. We're in this situation because of some of the things you have done as a president. Yep. And so are we in this situation because of? Trump and, and some of the things that he has said or the, the Republican 
approach to it because at this point in the game you can't just say it's donald trump you have to lump all of the republicans who stand behind him absolutely yes um yes. with no idea of or no concept of standing out and challenging him because yeah. if you're a republican and you challenge donald trump you are sent off to an island to die a very lonely, lonely death Especially in the political in world. Yeah. And so I think, um, you know, that, that fear is exactly what, what Trump operates off of. And it, you're right to an extent. And I think there is truth in Donald Trump's narrative that a lot of the violence that we're seeing is in largely Democrat-run cities. And, I mean, that's a proven fact. I, I don't think it's a real good argument that it's Democrat-run cities because, at the end of the day, it's just population density. The more people you get into an area close enough together, the more times that liberal, more progressive ideas will come of it. The Democrats also did a really, really good job when the party shifted um, from Dixiecrats, etc., into making sure that they kind of have their strongholds in the cities. But, um, you know, being from Philadelphia, I'm watching the most violent year on record, and we have a very progressive district attorney um, who is problematically progressive, in my opinion, as well as a uh, Democratic mayor, and they're not doing enough. You know, I would have liked to see a lot more action on their ends. I don't think it's warranted activating the National Guard or sending in federal troops by any means, but I think the Democrats need to understand the narrative that this violence is occurring, you know, underneath their watch. And it's sure, you know, some of Trump's um, statements are incendiary. And I think, you know, he could do a much better job at being measured and fighting for unity rather than creating an enemy to the other side. But if Democrats aren't willing to hear that argument at all, they're going to have a really rough November. Well, and, and that's kind of to the point of what we're talking about. Or, or starting this podcast is um, the problem is nobody's listening to each other. Exactly. And so, and here's the thing, like I, I really am, am considering changing my political affiliation from Republican uh -huh. to independent. Yeah. Because in today's world, I don't believe that either side is the silver bullet. No, and I think it's a dangerous, dangerous mindset to get into that um, that we're seeing is when you pick a side and it becomes part of your identity, um, you're closing off your mind, you know, whereas I think as a registered Democrat, um, but I would say very, very moderate these days um, compared to kind of the base, it is uh, it's interesting to see that so many people will just shut down and have a superiority complex and that's so dangerous you know in any in any sense of life well and, and you bring up a good point and, and i saw this during the the conventions and that's why i kind of bring it up is yeah you just mentioned your moderate considering the base do you feel like maybe the democrats have gone too far and are is there a possibility that they can be dialed back in i think the democratic base is very progressive and that's great i think joe biden himself and the, the and the actual platform that the democratic party put together at the dnc and voted on it, it's really moderate you know as much as trump wants and the republicans want to make it a socialist agenda and kind of have this fear that these new players like alexia oscario cortez 
are going to influence or Bernie Sanders going to influence Joe Biden. I mean, I'm not worried about that in the same way that most people weren't worried about Steve Bannon or Steve Miller accidentally influencing Trump with a white nationalist agenda, and they were part of his cabinet. And uh, it it creates a weird division. But overall, I mean, you know, we're not the, – the platform doesn't include the legalization of marijuana. It does not include uh, Medicare for all. It does not include defunding the police. It does not include cutting military spending. You know, these are all – very it's a it's almost a uh too moderate of a platform for the democrats which is interesting because still you know the the republican party is fighting really hard to make them seem as radical as possible when in reality they're running on the most milk toast platform i think i've seen in 20 years sure even if there are very progressive aspects to it in terms of climate change in terms of health care um, in different areas, it's just not as progressive as it's being labeled as, you know, socialist or communist or, you know, whatever fear-mongering word you want to insert. Well, and, and I think during the, the conventions, I think the Democrats did a good job, even though Bernie Sanders came out and did a, a, a uh, speech that said, you know, his beliefs are now mainstream in the Democratic Party and, and everything else. I think they did a fairly decent job of, of kind of dialing that back a little bit. Yeah. But the Republicans did a good job of reminding me what it is about the Republican Party that I liked. Absolutely. And I don't like and let's be clear, I'm not a Trump fan, but I don't dislike him either. Mm -hmm. I think he says um, very outrageous things and I think he incites anger and and fuels hate yeah. uh, with what he says. But it's kind of like they were saying on, on the last night of the, the RNC. I don't have to like what he says to still like the principles and, and the, the accomplishments. And I think that's where we see a divide in the parties is because traditionally conservatives are more independent. You know, they're constitutionalists. They believe in sovereignty um, at a higher level than um, Democrats who are more, you know, collectivist in nature. That's a buzzword I probably shouldn't have used. But um, – <laughs> It is, uh, it's just interesting to see at that aspect, because a lot of what Trump says is very inflammatory, and a lot of conservatives can ignore that, because they might not be a person of color, they might not be LGBTQIA, they might not be in a minority community in general, um, whereas that's a higher propensity for um, Democratic and liberal voters, or they're right. going to have more life experiences with that. So when Trump makes an incendiary remark... A lot of conservatives are able to say, like, well, he didn't mean that, you know, and kind of look past it. But if you have a, you know, people in your life who are saying, like, that tweet or that statement hurt me at a visceral different level, then it's harder to ignore. You know, it's harder to shrug off and just say that, oh, it's not a big deal. And I think that's where we're seeing a divide now is yeah. kind of is it affecting me individually or or should I even care that it affects somebody else? And you know, morally, you would hope that you would, but at the same time, constitutionally, doesn't matter. Right. So, to to kind of wrap it up, what uh, what I got out of the two uh, conventions is that I am more independent than I am either one of those parties. Yeah, I think uh, it definitely reaffirmed that. Uh, you know, in my opinion, who who's the right person to go with moving forward in this election for me? But um, if anything, it shows that. It is not 
as simple as an answer as I thought it might be. Right. Without a doubt. All right. Well, that's enough for uh, today's episode. Uh, If you liked what you heard, uh, please hit that subscribe button. And uh, we look forward to giving you the next episode. And from here on out, try to look at the right, the left, and the middle. Absolutely. Y'all have a good rest of your day. Left, right, and the middle. (laughs) Yeah.